Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. We've got two more weeks left in the regular season. So check out our Power 36 on NCAA.com, March Madness. We've got brackets last week, this week. We're getting down to the wire. Selection Sunday, two weeks from this past Sunday. Conference tournaments are going to start next week. So much to get to here in college basketball. On this edition of our podcast, I will be joined by Ken Pomeroy. Yes, you're going to hear Ken Palm, the data analysis that everyone uses. Okay, you will hear from Ken Palm how he sets it up, what it means, and some breakdowns of some teams. Also, Mark Turgeon, the head coach of the Maryland Terrapins, and Mark Pope, the head coach of BYU. Both will join me, as well as Chad Acock on the back end of the podcast for some predictions. And my Cats ranks the top 10 home courts this season. Not historically, although we have some of those in this grouping, but this season. So check that out later on in the podcast. All right, time for our headlines in college basketball. At number five. Trying to win the game here. Max Smith will inbound it. Gets it to Sharif Smith in the backcourt. He's over midcourt with four. Hands it out front to Wallace with two. 25-footer for the win. Good! Right now, with four-tenths of a second left, the Panthers on the verge of a huge comeback win. Man, it was a wild week in the Ohio Valley Conference. I like to spread the wealth a little bit. Eastern Illinois' Josiah Wallace scored 20 points, including a three-pointer at the buzzer to complete a 27-point comeback against Murray State with 11.30 left in the second half. Wallace then scored 23 points in a win over Austin P. So crazy week at Eastern Illinois. Meanwhile, at Belmont, they got a guard, Grayson Murphy, who's led the Bruins to eight wins in a row. But what makes this kind of crazy is he's only 6'2", and he averages 7.5 rebounds a game. He also averages 9.8 points, 6.3 assists. So they got sort of a triple-double alert, but leagues like this produce some crazy endings and some really interesting stats. So I just want to throw that out as what happened last week at headline number five. Headline number four. 80 to 70, Dayton with what's a 10-point win over Duquesne today at home, the 16th straight for the Flyers. Could Dayton be a number one seed? Certainly. The Flyers are rolling atop the A-10, winners of 16 in a row. They could be the beneficiary of the losses by San Diego State, Gonzaga, and even Duke last week. If Dayton wins out, it'll be hard to keep the Flyers off that one line. Headline number three. Arizona State in sole possession of first place in the Pac-12, and you have four teams now, a game out in the loss column. Oregon, UCLA, Colorado, and Arizona. New contenders in the Pac-12 and the Big East. Don't look now, but Arizona State enters the week alone atop the Pac-12 and legitimately could win the league outright. While Creighton has won five in a row, sits one game behind Seton Hall, and oh, by the way, ends the regular season hosting the Pirates. Headline number two. A two-game lead for the Maryland Terrapins in the Big Ten standings. Maryland has a two-game lead in the Big Ten. Terps are headed toward winning the Big Ten, I think, outright. They didn't lose ground after losing at Ohio State on Sunday since Penn State fell at Indiana. Now, Maryland ends the season at Minnesota, home Michigan State, at Rutgers, and home Michigan. None of these games are going to be a walk, and we're going to talk to Mark Turgeon about this, but the odds favor the Terps to get the number one seed in the Big Ten tournament and possibly a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. Headline number one. What a day that started with number one falling home to Kansas. San Diego State takes its first loss of the season at home to UNLV. Tonight, 
It's about BYU. It's about Mark Pope's team. First time in nine years ranked. And they just knocked off number two. Kansas wins at Baylor. Gonzaga loses at BYU. San Diego State falls at home to UNLV. And earlier in the week, Duke got smacked at NC State. What does it mean? Kansas looks like it could enter the NCAA tournament as the number one overall seed and the favorite. Baylor, still a number one seed and probably still in the South. Kansas, probably number one seed in the Midwest. Gonzaga right now is probably the number one seed still out West with the Aztecs probably dropping to the number two, opening up a fourth number one that could go to Maryland or to Dayton. And those are your top five headlines of the week. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Ken Pomeroy of the famous Ken Palm website, data analysis that has been used for many years in college basketball. And Ken, before we get to this season, which has been completely crazy, I think a lot of people want to know a little bit about how this all started. Well, uh, it really got started, I think, 2000, 2001, just reading uh, a lot of analytical work regarding baseball. You know, the book Moneyball came out around that time. And I, you know, I wasn't a huge baseball fan, but I was a huge numbers fan. So that, that kind of work really interested me. And I thought it would be cool if somebody was doing this for college basketball and I didn't find anybody doing it for a while. So I just kind of jumped in myself and, you know, more advanced numbers in college basketball and uh, just kind of gradually took off from there. If you don't mind me asking, where'd you go to school? So I did my undergrad at Virginia Tech uh, and then my grad school at Wyoming. And that's where a lot of kind of the initial thoughts started happening regarding this. You know, I had some some lonely uh, summers in Laramie, uh, sitting in the computer lab, staring at some thesis work and uh, would distract myself, maybe doing some research on how to uh, develop a, a rating system for college basketball. Coming off of BYU's win over uh, Gonzaga Saturday and seeing the Marriott Center as crazy as it was. And I'm curious how this plays into the numbers. You know, sometimes I don't think there's a full appreciation for some of these home courts around the country, especially out west place like the Marriott Center. How do you factor that in when when the general public doesn't grasp how hard it is to win on some of these you know road courts? Unfortunately, it's 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 difficult. I, you know, for my system I basically apply a flat home court advantage. There is a a separate kind of avenue of research that I am really passionate about which is identifying home court advantage for these different locations and I I also offer that on the site, you know, ranking home court advantage by by team, and you certainly find that the most important thing is, is altitude first and foremost. Uh, there, there are some effects too of of travel. So, you know, when you look at say uh, the Northeast Conference, where all the schools are really close together and they're pretty much short bus rides, you don't see a lot of home court advantage there. And obviously, the the, the venues are smaller. Uh, whereas you get out west, and certainly the Mountain West has always enjoyed a, a pretty large home court advantage, just because you do have teams from lower altitudes playing at higher altitudes. Uh, the travel is kind of a big issue. Obviously, getting to places, you know, especially like Laramie and, and Fort Collins is not easy. Um, but you know, you just don't have short bus rides for a lot of trips. So, uh, so that's certainly a factor as well. All right. So the whole new net. How do you think what you've been able to do has compared to what the net is now trying to do? You know, the net is, I think, generally designed to be more predictive. It, it trends closer to my rankings. It seems to value scoring margin even even more than my system does, and my system values it a lot. But uh, uh, it's, uh, I think, a step in the right direction, certainly uh, from the RPI in terms of just giving a, as you say, an organizing tool. If you have an organizing tool, you really want 
the team's ranked by kind of how good they are. So you can better assess how good a team's win is. You know, obviously, you know, you have good teams in the Big Ten right now who have accrued a lot of losses, but they're still really good teams. So if you happen to beat one of those teams in non-conference play, you should get credit for, you know, the quality of the team that you beat, not necessarily their winning percentage. So I'm glad I have you here because this is interesting. I was I was on a show with Dan Dockich and we had a good discussion about this where, um, you know, this is a year where in the Big Ten, for example, you know, you've got teams like Purdue and Indiana, you know, have sort of muddled along. And you could say the same thing at some teams in the SEC. And, you know, they've played a really hard schedule. We're still not convinced maybe how good they are uh, versus, uh, let's say, hypothetically, if a Northern Iowa doesn't win the Valley or Vermont or, you know, Stephen F. Austin in the Southland. And, you know, so he was saying, well, maybe this is a year that those teams should get in if they don't get in and get multiple bids in those leagues. My counter to that is, how do you know that Stephen F. Austin is, you know, better than Akron? Uh, because is it apples and oranges? Do we have to rely on the fact that they had this opportunity? They won at Duke. Uh, Northern Iowa had the opportunity. They won at Colorado. So if we're going to use at least something, you know, they at least did get one of those wins early in the season maybe versus another one of those teams that either didn't have the opportunity or didn't even get one of those. So if we're going to have to pick one of those teams that doesn't get an AQ, we would lean in that direction. So it is difficult. That's the challenge of uh, college athletics is that these teams are playing vastly different schedules. Uh, One way, though, you can get a feel for that is using some sort of statistical model. You know, we do have a good idea of how difficult it is for a bubble team to win at you know, Penn State or win at Duke or win at Alabama or wherever. And we also have an idea of how difficult it is for, say, a bubble team to win at Texas A&M Corpus Christi. And obviously Stephen F. Austin lost there, so that's why I bring them up. But when you look at Stephen F. Austin's schedule, it's a great example because they don't have a ton of quality wins. They have one quality win. And their performance over the rest of the schedule, though, is actually very comparable to what we would expect a team like Purdue to do. When you play 25 teams that are ranked between 150 and 300 if you're a bubble team yeah you shouldn't win each one of those games individually but over the course of 25 games you're going to get upset once or twice and Stephen f austin got upset once so you know that's where they're at but uh when you look at that Stephen f austin's performance over that schedule it uh is basically better than what you'd expect a normal bubble team to do so on that basis you know they really should be you know certainly at least considered uh to get in the tournament all right so if we without giving away the ingredients here what's the basic way to um for people to understand, you know, how you come up with your rankings. It has to do with uh, points per possession. So the number of points you score divided by the number of possessions in your game. So we do that for both offense and defense. So it's really, you know, just scoring margin, but it's a scale for possessions. And we adjust that based on the quality of the opponent. So uh, if you put up a lot of points against a really tough defense, uh, your offensive rating goes up and, uh, you know, flip that for the defensive end and we get an offensive and defensive rating and, uh, and the difference between those two is the overall rating for the team. So uh, the list of teams you see on my site is essentially sorted by the difference between the team's adjusted offensive efficiency and their adjusted defensive efficiency. So we use that a lot where we'll say, OK, you know, they're the top 10 rated team and Ken Palm offensive efficiency or defensive efficiency. But how long did it take coaches to really buy in, uh, especially the older generation? I'm going to guess maybe coaches, you know, 60 and over now uh, to really buy in. Yeah, it is a gradual process. And to some extent, I think it has been kind of generational. You know, younger coaches that grew up with this, this is kind of all that they've known. And so they're automatically bought in. You know, 
older generation, some of them still aren't about it. You know, really some of them, it's just people on their staff that are using this. You know, you can certainly, we can, we can name names, I guess. Like, I mean, Jim Beheim would be the guy that comes to mind who really isn't into this at all. But then you got guys like Jim Laranega who are really into it. So it's not necessarily, you know, you just can't look at a guy's age and tell if they're using it or not, but, but certainly it is generational and it's been gradual. And there were some early adopters and as more people started using it, I think things spread by word of mouth and, for the most part, I think coaches value the fact that, you know, they have a, a measure they can use either to motivate their players or to just get a, an accurate assessment of where they're at for their own review of their team to kind of figure out what they need to do better. Uh, I think that's where the value is, is really coming in, hopefully, for these coaches and not necessarily something that they obsess about on a daily basis as to whether they're getting in the tournament or not, because they don't think that's really how it's used by the committee. All right. So I, I thought you'd love this. I did a, an interview with Todd Golden from USF, first year coach younger guy who's so into the data. And I thought this was fascinating. He was telling me that they were looking at the data, okay, you know, on free throw shooting. And there were, I think it was something like 12 seconds left in a half. And they decided to foul a free throw shooter in the hope, because he was 50%, that he would either only make one or miss both, and they would get another possession before the end of the half. And it actually worked, and the player went one for two, and then they scored. And so they basically traded, uh, you know, it was a plus one to end the half. But that's really thinking about it, the players executing it and getting the right guy at the line and then it's scoring and obviously, you know, whatever it was, 10 to 12 seconds before the half. What, what do you think of an example like that, which, you know, really worked, but obviously it doesn't always uh, end up like that? Of course. And that's the, you know, that's always the trouble with the, these analyses is that it, it will work over the long run, but in the short run, you don't know if it doesn't work, how do the players react? But uh, yeah, I've had the, yeah, I've actually had a conversation with Todd about that. And yeah, it, it kind of it befuddles me sometimes, you know, the defense just lets at the end of the half, it just let the other team dribble it out and get the last shot. And, you know, the person dribbling it out is not a good free throw shooter. You can obviously, especially if they're in the one-on-one, you know, you can foul and you're going to get a bonus possession out of it. And I believe actually in that case, Andy, they San Francisco got a three out of that, I think. So they're actually plus two in that situation. So, okay. uh, <laughs> yeah. So, they, you know, that's a, it was fortunate for them that it worked out because I think then you can kind of sell that to the players going forward. They can have a little confidence in the coaching staff that when you try these unconventional strategies, you know, the coaching staff kind of knows what they're talking about and has the team's best interest in mind. But, uh, yeah, I'm definitely uh, pro thinking outside the box in these cases and especially when the, the math supports it. All right. So uh, as we look toward selections two you know, and a half weeks away, you know, are, are there any teams, not to put you on the spot, but are there any teams out there that you would say, and and I know I'm coming off of this BYU game because I love watching them, you know, just in terms of their entertaining value, they can score, they just basically ball. And, and you know, there sort of feels a little bit like the Jimmer days in terms of their ability to score. But are there teams out there, especially on the offensive end, that you say, you know what, whatever seed they get into, uh, they got a good shot to to go far in the tournament because of the way they are so efficient offensively. They score in a variety of ways. And, uh, you know, they're, they're just going to be, you know, definitely a couple teams that maybe not aren't the obvious ones to keep an eye on. Right. Yeah. I mean, BYU obviously fits that bell, you know, just with their three point shooting. I think Creighton's another team. People have uh, seen what they've done in the last couple of weeks. And uh, they're a team that, um, you know, you mentioned the Jimmer case, but what, you know, I think it's almost better that you, you know, you don't have a gymmer and you're still successful. You know, you, you have uh, multiple guys that can score. You don't necessarily have one guy that's going to go off for, for 40 and becomes the focus of the game plan. And uh, BYU and Creighton kind of uh, both fit that bill. You know, Dane's another example. They're, they're ranked second offensively in my system. And they're not necessarily a team that's going to kill you from the three point line. They have some shooters, but 
you know, they rank first in the country in two point percentage or sixty two percent on twos, which is uh, the highest number that I have in my my database of twenty four years. So, uh, so they're you know their two point offense is is really successful. And what you find in games going from game to game that two point offense tends to be more consistent than three point offense. I think people kind of understand that intuitively. You know, even if you're a forty percent shooting team from three, some nights you're going to shoot twenty percent and. Uh, um, that can kill you. But if you're a 60% two point shooting team, you're probably not going to have a night where you shoot 40% from two, you know, you're always going to be in that, you know, 50 to 65% range. So that really goes well for the flyers. All right. I got to just ask you a couple of quick ones before I let you go here. Uh, I'm just going to say Gonzaga, Kansas, Louisville, Maryland, Michigan, Illinois. If you can remember that, any quick thoughts on uh, offensively, why people maybe should buy stock into the tournament? Offensively, like certainly Gonzaga is the the cream of the crop there. Uh, you know, the reason they lost to BYU wasn't because of their offense. Uh, the, you know, I hadn't actually rated as the top ranked offense in the country. So, you know, there's always the question going into the tournament with teams from lesser conferences. You know, how do the statistics really hold up when we're translating from playing, you know, Pepperdine and, and Portland to, to playing, you know, top ranked teams? But I think we've seen repeatedly now from Gonzaga, you know, the past five years, obviously a longer track record than that, but definitely the last five years that. Um, you know, bludgeoning West Coast Conference teams actually does have some value. And what we saw from them in non-conference play, I think, also indicates that that offense is really good. So uh, I think they're the teams you mentioned, you know, they're clearly the best. I mean, you, you know, you talk about a team like Kansas, they're more of the flip side. They're, you know, they're good offensively, but they're really good defensively. And um, that's how they're going to win. And it's kind of funny when you look at like the history of NCAA champions, you actually don't see a lot of teams with Kansas's profile really kind of dominant defensively and good offensively usually it's the flip side usually teams are either neutral or they're a little better offensively than they are defensively all right so the last one is san Diego state they just lost for the first time against unlv you know they've been at the top of the net rankings defensively they've been one of the better teams i think now that they lost at home to vegas i think people are going to be sort of off that bandwagon a little bit but what do the numbers say about this aztec team well, you know, they're still pretty legit. I mean, I I do think it's a great time to evaluate them now because you, you have seen them lose. And so you can kind of give a more more fair opinion of them. Uh, it's obviously hard to criticize a team when they're unbeaten. But the numbers say like they're sixth defensively and they're 10th offensively. And, uh, that, you know, that last fact is really key because people remember the Steve Fisher era. You know, San Diego State was a team that was always outstanding defensively. And some years they were not very good offensively. Some years they were OK offensively. Some years they were good. But they were really never this good. And. Uh, you know, the question is, do you believe it? This is another team that doesn't have a ton of star power. You know, do you believe that Malachi Flynn is, you know, one of the best point guards in the country? I mean, I think certainly the track record of the course of the season would, would give you some confidence on that. But, uh, but, uh, I think if you're a San Diego State fan, um, there's certainly reason to believe that they uh, are legit. And this is, of course, a great year to be legit because there really isn't that hierarchy at the top of the game that would, suggest that there's not room for a team like San Diego State to go deep in the tournament. All right, so Ken, I'm embarrassed to say something here, and I'm going to do it literally today because I have had the benefit of all the different places I've worked at of having access to your numbers. So uh, I'm going to actually finally sign up. And because (laughs) I'm embarrassed to say, I kind of figured I thought it was because I've always had access to it, like provided, you know, to me. So I'm like, you know what? I realize that's not happening right now. And I was like, whoa. (laughs) I got to make sure I can get this because uh, I don't need to rely on a, a conference notes or team notes or our production crew at various place networks I've been at. So I'm going to sign up. How can everyone else sign up? Yeah, you just go to KenPalm.com and uh, 
click on virtually any link and you'll be uh, met with a page that will indicate how to sign up. Uh, it's just 19.95 for 12 months. So you'll, uh, it's not through the end of the season. It's for the next 12 months. So you'll have access until the end of uh, next February, early March, whenever you sign up. So uh, yeah, that's how it goes. And I guess I'll be having dinner on you tonight, Andy. So I appreciate that. <laughs> I'm definitely signing up. Ken, uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, I hope we can chat again. Uh, your stuff is phenomenal. I know everyone uses it. So I, I re- really appreciate you taking some time here with us on March Madness 365. All right. Thanks, Andy. I really appreciate you having me on. Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. Andy Katz here for NCAA.com and March Madness with the latest edition of Katz Ranks, my top 10 of the week. And this week here on March Madness 365, I'm doing the top 10 home courts this season. Now, this was very difficult to put this list together because, in theory, if I'm doing a top 10 home courts across the country, without question, for example, I have Purdue's Mackey Arena didn't make the cut because they've lost some home games this season. There were some schools that I didn't put on this list that have had very good home courts. Northern Iowa still hasn't lost. Liberty, Siena, Creighton just has one loss to Villanova at home. San Diego State just has the one loss over the weekend to UNLV. I don't have Duke because Duke has already lost twice at Cameron Indoor Stadium. I know I'm going to hear about that. And I didn't put Florida State on this list, even though the Seminoles are undefeated. It just has not been an intimidating home court. Uh, the team's obviously very good because they're one of the best teams in the ACC. So let's get to my top 10. At number 10, Rutgers, the rack, 17-1 this season now. Rutgers is barely holding on to this top 10 because they lost at home to Michigan. Prior to that, Northwestern gave them a really good game. So they got one loss, but still, it has been one of the tougher home courts in the country. At number nine, I'm going with BYU. The Cougars have one loss at home this season. That was early in the season at San Diego State. And if you watched what BYU did to Gonzaga at home on senior night in Provo, wow, what an atmosphere at the Marriott Center. If they can get that on a regular basis next season when they're back at the Marriott Center, forget it. I mean, it's a senior-laden team, but still, I've been to that arena when it's packed like that. It is a phenomenal home court. So, Marriott Center and BYU this season, checking in at number nine. At number eight, I'm going with the Baylor Bears. Now, Baylor only has one loss at home. That was to Kansas over the weekend. But Waco traditionally has not felt like a dominant home court. Team's pretty good. So they got to be on this top 10 list this season. But I put them in at number eight. At number seven, I'm actually putting a school that has not lost at home yet. uh, But they've been playing with fire because they've almost lost a couple times. And that's the Oregon Ducks. 14-0 at home. They've had to go down to the wire multiple times to win games, and they have. But they're checking in number seven, even though they're undefeated at this juncture. That means there's a couple of one-loss home teams that have moved up on this list. At number six, I'm going with the Dayton Flyers. Dayton, 15-0 at home, dominating the A-10, handled Rhode Island, so doesn't matter who comes into that arena. Dayton has beat them, beaten them. So I'm going with the Flyers at number six. At number five, another team that has not lost at home. Great home environment. 
But boy, they have almost lost it all multiple times. Auburn. So the Auburn Tigers and Bruce Pearl have created a great home atmosphere down in Auburn, Alabama to crack my top five, still undefeated at home. This season, at number four, I'm putting the Maryland Terrapins. Maryland, undefeated at home, the only remaining school left in the Big Ten, undefeated at home, has almost lost at home to Nebraska. Still undefeated. So Maryland checks in this season with the fourth toughest home court, best atmosphere. Now number three. This is tough. I'm going to go with Kentucky. Rupp Arena. Only one loss this season, but it was a bad loss. It was early in the season Evansville. Since then, they've been a dominant home court team, certainly in the SEC. They do have that one loss, so I can't put them number one. And number two, in any other given year, you might say they should be number one. I think it's one of the best arenas in all of sports. Fog Allen, Kansas. Kansas does have a home loss to Baylor in January. So I can't put them number one because they've lost at home. So who gets that number one spot? Toughest home court, maybe in the country this season. Place I've been to already multiple times in the past, but certainly this season. The Kennel, Gonzaga. The Zags have a absolutely incredible home court. They have dominated teams in Spokane. Uh, They've crushed teams that are very good this year in the WCC at home. And as they finish up their home slate, uh, especially with St. Mary's coming in, you will see that atmosphere. It is almost impossible when Gonzaga is playing this well to beat them at the kennel. So this season, I got Gonzaga at number one for the toughest home court in the country. And now joining me here, March Madness 365, BYU head coach Mark Pope, fresh off. An amazing victory on Saturday over number two, Gonzaga, snapping the Zags. 40-game WCC win streak, 39 on the road. A remarkable run, an unbelievable win for the Cougars, which I think uh, will lead to bigger and better things. Uh, Mark, let's first deal with the atmosphere. What was it like at the Marriott Center on Saturday night? Yeah, it was, it was, uh, you know, I've spent my life in basketball and, and of course I was a Kentucky guy and then bounced around the NBA and it was on par in its own way with any, any experience I've ever had in a gym. It was, it was unreal. And so much of it was the build up to the moment. Uh, you know, you think about it, um, you talked about Gonzaga's streaks and they're so, this is really true. They're so dominant. And then, you know, we only had one day between Santa Clara and Gonzaga's and, and I really tried not to get to the next game. So, I'm taking in all this information of the streaks are being thrown at me again on Friday. And I remember specifically having this thought about like this Mark, Mark few is, is so extraordinary. And this program, they're so good. And I remember feeling a little pissy about, uh, you know, how is it that nobody in our league can beat these guys? I almost wanted to get all the other coaches of the league and be like, guys, we have to figure out a way. It's embarrassing to the league that these guys have rolled through it for two years without a loss. And uh, it's just how dominating they are. And, and the, the, the problem is, is that 
is that Coach Few just does it with such class and kindness. I mean, he's been so good to me, right? And so you want to be mad at him for being so good, but they're just purely so good, and their team is so talented. And so, you know, you you, you get the opportunity to have that that great program, what I think is the best program in America, roll in here and take a shot at him, and all the all the stuff that surrounds that, and then have an R, uh, you know, senior laden roster which is a little bit rare in college basketball now. And all these guys have battled and fought to be here. It just, the stage was set for something really special. And we were, we were really, really fortunate to come out on top of it. All right. So how'd you do it? We got lucky. <laughs> I think that's probably the best answer. Um, you know, this, this, this Gonzaga team and program is that good, but um, you know, we, we had veteran guys that played really, really hard and really, really committed and were spurred on by an unbelievable energy in the gym. Um, uh, you know, TJ Hawes, I think is on a run right now. That is, that is, um, as good as any point guard in America in the last month and, and the numbers back it up and, and the, the incredible feet in pressure moments back it up. Um, you know, Yoli Childs, I think is, is continues to rise as, as one of the preeminent, uh, you know, uh, uh, presences, uh, frontline presences in the entire country. And he sort of, he put on an incredible show in every facet of the game on Saturday. Uh, Jake Toulson continued to shoot the ball in a way that is, is almost incomprehensible. He's so talented that way. And, uh, and, and, and Zach Salius, our other senior that was able to play, uh, just as like the heart and soul of this team. And like, I don't know the right way to say it. Is it true Americana? Whatever it is, it's like throwback, but him running around with this, with this haircut and this mustache and like, and just with this incredible fiery intensity, just willing to do whatever it takes to win. You know, it's a senior led group and the seniors stepped up and led, uh, in their senior night. Um, I don't know if it, you know, hopefully I'll be blessed enough to, be associated with this game for a long time. I don't know if I'll, I'll see another senior night quite like it. It was extraordinary. And I would just say uh, to our listeners, I mean, I covered the WAC in the 90s. I saw, you know, BYU-Utah games there, BYU-New Mexico, BYU-Fresno. And uh, I think the Marriott Center, when packed, when the game matters like that, is one of the best home courts in the country, without question. Uh, you guys only had one loss this season at home. That was to a San Diego State team that just suffered its first loss. And I'm looking at your schedule. I mean, I know you didn't plan this whole thing, but you played so many of these teams. Think about it. You played San Diego State. They just had their first loss this season. Yeah. You went at Houston. They got a chance to win the American. Um, you beat a UCLA team in Maui that clearly now is playing much better and has a chance to, crazy, win the Pac-12. Yeah. Uh, you, you played a Kansas team that's number one right now, a Virginia Tech team that beat Michigan State, a Utah team that beat Kentucky, a UNLV team that beat San Diego State, um, let alone Gonzaga and St. Mary's. Uh, you know, it's been a schedule that has prepared you for this moment, for this point in the season. How did it do it? Well, it's really hard. You know, it wasn't just a schedule. And, and we inherited most of the schedule uh, as a gift from, from the, the greatest guy to ever coach here, Coach Rose, who did it here better than anybody else. And um, so he had put together a really challenging schedule. We just added a couple pieces. Um, and, and, and it was incredibly competitive. And, and so not only the schedule has kind of prepared us for now, but also the dynamic nature of our roster uh, between um, suspensions and injuries and, and all kinds of things. Uh, day-to-day changes to our roster. Um, we're as prepared as any team in the country because we, we haven't had a single game with our whole roster all season long. And, um, 
And so these guys are used to having strange things happen and they're used to trying to find a, right, a way to rise above it. And so far, the team's proven adept at doing it. But as you, you all know, none of that matters. The only thing that matters is Saturday uh, for us to find some way to go win a game. And so uh, we're pretty focused on that right now. Yoli Childs has had an interesting season, to say the least. Suspended first nine games uh, for an NBA draft-related issue. Gets hurt. Uh, and yet you know, was able to put on a show at the end here. And you're going to need him, obviously, if you're going to win the WCC or progress deeper into the NCAA tournament. How would you describe what he has gone through this season in terms of his ability to weather that and still play at a high level? Yeah, well, well, first of all, he is one of the most extraordinary human beings I've ever had the privilege of of being around. He's extraordinary. Like, as as some of these... um, you know, whatever you want to say, unfortunate things have come up throughout the season. Uh, he's talked me off the ledge, right? <laughs> you know, he's been like, Hey coach, it's going to be okay. Like we'll, we'll make it through this. And, and, um, he just is, he, he's, he's extraordinary. His resilience is incredible. And his perspective is, is un is unmatched. And his focus has been astounding in terms of, you know, uh, his ability to kind of, uh, grow in the area of turning frustration of the game into fight and doing it really quick. And he played with so much force on Saturday against arguably the best front line in college basketball right now. Um, he was incredibly dominant and, and, um, he's got a ton of basketball left in him just like this team this year. And, and right now he's earning himself a chance to go on and continue playing this game at the highest level for a long time. And, the, the great thing about him is he's not thinking about that at all. All he wants to do is win for his team. Like all he wants to do is help this team win. And he's willing to do anything that it takes. He, he's a special, he's a special player and a special human being. And, and all of us here have been really blessed to be able to watch him go to work this year on the bench when he had to be on the bench and also on the court. So I said that I think you guys could end up being one of the more entertaining teams, you know, in the end, still be tournament. You know, your version of Jimmer Fredette is TJ Haas, who can hit the deep three. But I just think once you guys get in there, it's going to be a great watch from your vantage point, from the sideline. What's it been like to coach a team that just plays free, loose, and, and just is out there balling? Well, it's really easy because I don't have to do anything. You know? <laughs> I just tell them, hey, guys, what do you think we should do? And they, they go, uh, I tell you, one of the things that you love as a coach is you love guys that will, will stay focused. Every single game they've treated like it's the hardest game they're going to play all season. They've been able to do that so far this season. We have to continue doing that. They've also fought so hard every day. You know, we talk about having the best locker room in America. It's something we talk about all the time. We pride ourselves on and we believe that we're chasing. And to do that, you know, these guys have to wake up every morning and they have to consciously say, I am not going to let my personal agenda interfere with the goals of this team. And that is a daily struggle. It's not a decision you make at the beginning of the season and then you never have to deal with it again. All these guys have worked so hard to give themselves a chance to become great players and and go on and play after college and, and earn themselves individual accolades during the season and 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 get it national attention and all these kind of things. And every day they have to say, Hey, that's fine if it comes, but I'm going to do whatever it takes for this team to win. And being able to witness what these guys do to genuinely fighting every day to work, to put this team first above their own agendas. It's humbling, man. It's really special to watch. All right. So you've played at the highest level at Kentucky, you know, the passion of big blue nation, but seriously, what, what was more satisfying? You think, what you experienced as a player at Kentucky or what you just went through Saturday night in Provo at the Marriott Center? 
Oh man, I don't know. I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can compare them. You know, you have these extraordinary special moments that are just a moment in time that could only happen because everything aligned in that moment to make it happen. I certainly had experiences like that as, at Kentucky as a player. And I got to have an experience that I will never forget for the rest of my life on Saturday night. You know, and, and this fan base is pretty extraordinary. I cannot tell you how many people have contacted me. The, the interest of me here, and I don't know if this exists anywhere else, Andy. You're going to have a better sense of me. But you know what happened? 18,000 people came to that game Saturday night. 18,000 people celebrated. And probably 10,000 people went home that night. And at 1 a.m., played it on their TV and watched the whole thing again. I can't tell you how many. That's the thing that blows me away. I can't tell you how many people have come to me. Yeah, I went home and I couldn't sleep. I watched the game again. Um, and that's just the, that's just this fan base. These people here care and it means something to them. And they're so engaged with these this particular team and what they're trying to do. It makes it really fun, man. It's the best thing about college basketball. All right, last thing. Uh I, I know you may not go there, but I will. But, I mean, what's the ceiling with this group? When you guys are clicking the way you played Saturday and we get in a couple of weeks' time, what are the chances this team could go on a serious run? Well, we, you know, we, we clearly need a lot of things to go in our favor. Um, and so, um, you know, I, I think, I think you know, there's a there's a some mass of teams in the country that, that all have a chance to try and do something special here in the tournament. Uh, we have to play great basketball. We got to continue to focus on every single day. And I know that's not a sexy answer because it's not really going to get a headline, but the, our ability to focus on getting better every day has got those guys where they are right now and they cannot change that approach. Right. So, um, I say, th- I think, I think we can win games. I, I, I know this team can win games, if we will stay focused on just getting better every day. And I'm telling you right now, between now and Saturday, we have to get better. We're going to lose. And then between Saturday and the next week, when we start the WCC tournament, we better be a better team. So as long as we kind of keep that focus, I think we have a chance to do special things. I think it's a special group. Mark Pope, the head coach of BYU. Love your enthusiasm. It was great to see it on Saturday night before, during, and after. Uh, Appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks, Andy. And now joining me here, March Madness 365, Maryland head coach Mark Turgeon. The Terrapins are coming off a road loss at Ohio State, but still two games up in the best conference in the country in the Big Ten, 12-4, and 22-5 overall. Uh, Mark, it has been a really remarkable run uh, over the last few weeks, um, you know, before this Ohio State, really sandwiching the, the road Wisconsin loss, which really came down to the last possession, and this road Ohio State loss. Um, as you hit this stretch run at Minnesota, home Michigan State, at Rutgers, home Michigan, where do you feel this team is at right now? Well, I think we're getting better, even though we're coming up, came up short yesterday. I think uh, there's a lot of signs that show that certain guys are playing better. Uh, Aaron Wiggins stepped up yesterday at six threes. Eric Al had one of his best games, and um, you know we're trying to build depth. Uh, Cho Merrill had his best game of the year yesterday. He was able to play and look like he belonged a little bit coming off those injuries. Um, so we feel good about things, you know. Um, Ohio State played really well to beat us. Uh, made a lot of shots. Uh, a lot of things went their way, but we just we kept battling. So uh, we feel like we're getting better. You know, this league, you can't relax. Every game is so hard. And um, But, uh, we, you know, we, we feel good about ourselves, you know, heading into this this final stretch. 
Yeah, what I love in your post-game video that, that uh, Marilyn posted was, I mean, you've been very real, and you were real, you know, after the, I think it was after the Northwestern game last week when you were interviewed, because you know the schedule, a lot of coaches don't like to say that, but you know what's ahead, and you know how daunting it all is, and nothing is taken for granted. Um, you've been a coach for a long time in multiple leagues, and I know a lot of times people will say, oh, this is the best league, and all this is really hard, but... But seriously, you've been through various leagues at different points yeah. in the last 30 years. I mean, what has this gauntlet been like? And it's not even over yet. Yeah, and there's still four left, which, you know, it's a lot of basketball. And um, it is the best league that I've ever coached. And I've coached in some really good ones when I was a young assistant at Kansas or, you know, I was in the Missouri Valley as a head coach at Wichita State. We had some really good leagues. Um, but to have 14 teams and 12 that – you know, are really highly thought of. They're really good teams that are still, you know, have a chance to make the NCAA tournament. And just the talent level and the coaching and these buildings we play in. I mean, every place is sold out and loud. And it's just an, it's just been an amazing deal. And, and um, you, know, you win one, you think you're going to win the rest of them. You lose one, you're not sure if you're ever going to win another one. That's kind of the way you kind of look at it. But uh, it's, it's an amazing league with great coaches, great players, great venues. And, Best I've ever been in. You know, every coach I talk to in the league kind of feels the same way. And it's just, it's, it's a grind, but you just keep doing it and it makes you better. Tell you what, it makes your team better when you have to be ready every night to play. I said this on the air at Big Ten Network. What I love about Jalen Smith and really your program is when you think about it, two years in a row, you had a big man who could have been tempted by leaving for the NBA draft, was smart enough to know, you know what, I'm not ready to go and contribute. I need to get better. And they both had really sensational sophomore seasons. And of course, I'm referencing Bruno Fernando from freshman to sophomore year. And now Jalen Stick Smith from freshman to sophomore year. Uh, how did this how did this happen? Well, um, they're both really good kids that like to work on their game. I think uh Bruno was always a hard worker. Um and, you know, I made the right decision and 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 you know, had both feet in the circle the whole time and then you know, Sticks has really learned to work hard. He's, he's, he's really gained confidence as this year has gone on. Now they're totally different players. Uh, the way we use them, the way they play, all that kind of stuff. But they're both great kids that love to work. And they, I think the key is they have both feet in the circle. Some guys stay and they really don't have feet in the circle. They have both feet in. <clears throat> it's all about Maryland. It's all about winning. It's all about doing the right thing. And if they, you know, if they you know if we win and they do well, good things will happen for them after, after college. So yeah, it's been, it's been fun to watch Jalen. It's, it's got a lot on his plate, um, with our team. He's handled it with great class, you know, maturity. And he just, I think he just keeps getting better and better, um, you know, for us. And, and, uh, he's become a great leader and he's having a, he's having a great time. He's really having a lot of fun, which is seeing him smiling every day is, is, is a great feeling. All right, last thing, Mark, Anthony Cowan Jr., when you get to the postseason in a couple of weeks, whether it's Big Ten Tournament or NCAA Tournament, how critical is it to have that lead guard where you know if you need someone to take a big-time shot, they're not going to hesitate, or get to the rim, not going to hesitate, that you've got that closer in Anthony Cowan? Yeah, he's been pretty amazing, had he? throughout his career, and, and um, he's uh, made a lot of big shots. Obviously, uh, at Michigan State, he made three big ones, and uh, no, he's not afraid. And um, for me, it's about keeping him fresh down the stretch. He looked a little fatigued yesterday. You know, give Ohio State some credit, but um, just keeping him fresh, keeping him, you know, the right way. But 
um, you know, can, and continue to trust his teammates. And the better Eric Ayala plays and Eric Wiggins plays and Dante Scott plays and Jalen Smith plays and Daryl Marcel plays, it takes pressure off Anthony, you know, just to, to make big time plays for us late in games. So, um, you know, he, he's done it. You know, it's funny when he did it and when he does it in games, we kind of expect it because we see it every day in practice. So it's not a big deal. It's really not a big deal to us because he just does it every day. So, um, but I know it is to the public, but you know, it's just something that he expects to do. We expect him to do it. And he feels very comfortable in late game situations. Appreciate it, Mark. Thank you. Okay. Bye, right, Andy. Take care, bud. And now here on March Madness 365, time for March Chadness with Chad Acock. And Chad, um, I feel like I'm on a trend of being a 500 guy here lately. Uh, how did I do this past week? Yeah, Andy, you went seven and five this week, not six and six. You know, you had a couple weeks that right around 500, uh, but you did go seven and five this week. You got four of those games were actually on the road that you correctly predicted. Uh, Dayton at VCU, Baylor at Oklahoma, Kentucky at LSU, and then FSU at NC State. Got a couple other games correctly. Got the other Kentucky game correct against Florida at home, uh, Creighton against Butler, and then Seton Hall and that buzzer beater against Butler. A couple of games you missed, you know, you missed the Marquette against Creighton, uh, Baylor at home against Kansas, Arizona, you know, that overtime game lost by one uh, against Oregon, uh, Gonzaga at BYU, you know, high level game there. And then Maryland at Ohio State. So, Andy, give me your thoughts on, you know, this this week of college basketball. Well, first of all, uh, Kentucky fans are happy with me because I've been picking the Wildcats lately. Uh, the Arizona Oregon game is another wild one that easily could have gone the other way. The fact that Arizona had free throws with a chance to win, not able to hit them. Uh, so that could have easily gone either way. Uh, Got to give Ohio State a lot of credit. They played much better than Maryland in the second half and were able to hold on and get a much-needed win for the for the Buckeyes. Creighton right now is playing some of the best basketball in the country, home or road, so they deserve a ton of credit. Probably should have maybe looked at that a little deeper and gone with them. So I don't feel bad about 7-5 and five because the way the season has gone, um, you know, that that's probably a win for me. Yeah, when we hit late February, just everything just seems like it feels like March Madness. 75 is great. And you're right. We do hear from BBN a lot, uh, but more particularly when you pick uh, Kentucky to win on the road at LSU. So shout out to you, Andy. Good pick there. Uh, but let's get right into it this week. Tuesday, Iowa at Michigan State. You know, two teams that are part of this massive group. They're just tied for the uh, second place in the Big Ten. I think we have five teams that all have six conference losses. Uh, so these types of games are just crucial down the stretch. Uh, who do you have winning this one? I got Michigan State. Um, I feel like Michigan State, late February, there's a sense of urgency with the Spartans. And uh, I got a good feeling that they're going to end up getting this one. Uh, Iowa has not proven to be as consistent a road team. I mean, look, Luca Garza is going to be a problem for the Spartans. But uh, I'm going to go with Michigan State at home. Okay, let's jump to Wednesday, another Big Ten game. Rutgers at Penn State. Penn State, another one of these teams that just you know seems to be in the mix here for second place. Uh, do you like Penn State at home here? I do because I just have no faith in Rutgers on the road. Uh, they've got one road win this season. They continue to get close, but you know tend to fade late in the game. Uh, so I'm going to still stick with the home team. Penn State did not play well in the second half at Indiana on Sunday, but and but Rutgers same thing. Had a little late surge against Wisconsin on Sunday. Not able to close that out, but I'm going to go with Penn State at home. Okay, now let's jump to Saturday. Hey, shout out to the leap year for for making this one February 29th instead of March 1st. But 
Saturday, you've you've got Penn State again. This time, Penn State at Iowa. You know, win here is going to go a long way for you know separating the pack a little bit. So, who do you have winning? I got Iowa. Um, <clears throat> once again, it's faith in a road team that I don't have right now in the Nittany Lions. Earlier, they did have road wins. I don't see them getting this one. Uh, you know, I think that uh, Luca Garza is going to be a problem for them. Uh, Joe Toussaint has been playing well for the most part. Joe Wieskamp. Uh, and and I, I just like the Hawkeyes at Carver Hawkeye. Yeah, I like those picks. Right now you've got Penn State and Iowa both splitting the week. Uh, let's jump ahead to Providence at Villanova. The Friars are kind of heating up at the right time here. They could really use a road win uh, for that resume. Um, you know, they essentially, though, they get a week off ahead of this matchup at Villanova, uh, while Villanova does have to play a midweek game against St. John. So do, does that factor in your decision here? And then who do you have winning? So, look, Providence can win this game. They've won on the road uh, and had had great success in the Big East. Their backs are against the wall because they got those four quad three, quad four losses early in the season. But if you look at their schedule, this is a game they can afford to lose as long as they beat Xavier and DePaul at home and maybe maybe just needing one in the Big East tournament. Uh, I don't think they'll get any fault for losing at Villanova after just knocking off Marquette at home. Uh, They've already beaten Seton Hall at home. So... Uh, you know, just won at Georgetown last week. I'm going to go with Villanova, but I could definitely see the Friars winning. Sure. And then Florida State at Clemson. Believe it or not, the Tigers hold home wins over Louisville and Duke. Will they add another one here against the top of the ACC with a win over FSU? I'm going to say no, because I think the matchup's an issue for them. Uh, Florida State's athleticism, their length, uh, you know, I think has been a problem for a lot of teams. And I think especially for, it could be for Clemson. I'm going to go with the Seminoles on the road. Yeah, I like that one to be a low-scoring game as well. How about Seton Hall at Marquette? It's a huge matchup here with the Pirates trying to stay in you know sole possession of first place in the Big East. Uh, who you got winning? So great, Miles Powell, Marcus Howard, last matchup of the regular season. They've been two great rivals throughout the course of their careers in the Big East. Uh, I watched Marquette in person on Saturday, and I came away thinking, you know what? There's just such a reliance on Marcus Howard. Uh, and, you know, they've got other options, but everyone still waits for him to, to take over. And while Seton Hall has had their mini slide uh, in the Big East, uh, I just think they're the better team. Even though Marquette has a great home court, uh, I'm going to go with the Pirates on the road. Yeah, that'll be a fun showdown to watch between, between Miles Powell and uh, Marcus Howard. How about Auburn at Kentucky? Auburn rallied from 17 down to beat Tennessee without Isaac Okoro. Uh, but, you know, that was in Auburn Arena. How will they fare on the road at Rupp Arena? They'll lose. I think Kentucky will be so amped for this, uh, for the rematch. Uh, and right now, you know, on this podcast, we said last week Nick Richards could be SEC Player of the Year. After this past week, there's a strong play right now for maybe Emmanuel Quickly. I mean, they've got maybe one versus two, especially with Okoro out right now for, you know, potential voting in SEC Player of the Year. I'm going to go with the Wildcats to win at Rupp. There's another pick for BBN. Uh, how about Duke at Virginia? You know, after a rocky start to ACC play, the Hoos have rattled off seven out of eight. Um, you know, do you like them to lock down Duke and secure another W? Yes, and I think this will be the win that gets them over the threshold. I mean, I had them in our last bracket, but I think this is the one that silences any critics and ensures that we'll have at least four ACC teams in the field. I like the Cavaliers at home. Wow, bold pick. I like it. How about Michigan State at Maryland? You know, another just big week for the Big Ten. Uh, Michigan State's trying to avenge this home loss against the Terps early, earlier in the season. Uh, do you think they can get it done on the road? Once again, they can. 
I mean, Nebraska went in there and, you know, nearly, well, actually it was only a block from Jalen Smith that saved them. But uh, I'm just going to go with the better team right now. And even though Maryland lost to Ohio State on Sunday, uh, Maryland's playing better. It looks like they're going to win the Big Ten outright. And uh, I'm going to go with the Terps at home. Okay. Now, how about Sunday, first day of March? You've got Cincinnati at Houston. Now, this is a matchup that could ultimately decide uh, the American Conference, you know, depending on how Tulsa finishes up. Uh, so who's your winner in this one? I'm going to go with the Cougars. Backs against the wall. They've been a little erratic in the last couple of weeks. Cincinnati's playing some, you know, pretty good basketball. They just knocked off Wichita State on Sunday. That was at home. But I'm going to go with Houston to prevail um, down in Texas to make sure that they're right there, potentially win the league. Okay, what about Michigan at Ohio State? The Buckeyes have already secured a victory in Ann Arbor. Do you think they complete the sweep with a win here? I'm going to actually go with Michigan. Um, Even though Ohio State just beat Maryland on Sunday, I I just really love the way the Wolverines are playing. Uh, Assuming Isaiah Livers is back, uh, you know, and doesn't have another setback, you know, offensively, I just like the way Michigan's playing right now. I think they're better, you know, they're, 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 even though they're better than they were back in November, it feels like they're playing that well again. So I'm going to go with Michigan on the road to win in Columbus. Man, they're hot. That is a bold pick for them to win on the road. I like it though. We'll see what happens. And then our final game of the week, Andy, Colorado at Stanford. Stanford's another team that was hot early, uh, kind of faded away, could use another big resume win down the stretch. Will they find it here at home? So this is a tough one. Um, you know, Stanford still, I think, needs some work to feel secure. Ultimately, I think they will get in because of their numbers. But I kind of like the Buffaloes, even though the Buffaloes, you know, lost at home, uh, actually got swept by UCLA, uh, you know, couldn't win down there and then got swept and then lost at home. I, I like I like Colorado to pull off this game. And, and remember, this is a rematch of a very emotional game a couple of weeks ago where Evan Batty, by accident, knocked Oscar De Silva down. He had the head laceration. Thankfully, he's back playing. Uh, So there's no, you know, obviously the two teams came together mid-quarter. It was a great show of of human decency and humanity, not just sportsmanship. Uh, So, I, you know, these two teams like each other. They've bonded, but I like the Buffs to win at Maples Pavilion. Okay, and this is normally where we would check back in on San Diego State, but no longer yes. needed after uh, after that loss against UNLV. But you, you know, you pre- you predicted them uh, that they would go undefeated in the regular season. You came close. I mean, shoot, there was only a few games left. Um, but next week, Andy, we'll review these twelve games where I'm sure as we head into March, there'll be more madness coming. Well, and the crazy thing is, for uh, the power conferences, we'll have one more week of regular season games. Um, but for a lot of these other conferences. Next week, conference tournaments are going to start. In fact, next week, the Mountain West starts because they're playing a week earlier. We talked about that. So it is crazy how the month of March, next week, when we uh, revisit these picks and discuss the podcast, we will be just within two weeks of Selection Sunday. We're going to have another bracket later this week on our March Madness social media platforms. Then we'll have another bracket the week after, and then we'll put one together on Selection Sunday, hours before the selection. So plenty of stuff happening over the next couple of weeks, plenty of content to digest on uh, all our social media platforms. For Chad, as always, we appreciate everyone listening, all our guests here on March Madness 365. I'm Andy Katz. Thanks for listening.